Welcome to Everything Belongs, a podcast for those living, creating, leading, and thriving while in the deep end of life. I'm your host, Madison Morgan, leadership coach, creative consultant, and speaker. I coach soulful visionaries and go-getting mavericks who desire to create art of their lives and take their work both deeper and higher. In this show, I'll be bringing you an overflow of conversations with my favorite thought leaders, teachers, healers, and creatives who inspire me to live more fully in my own power, worth, and wholeness, along with offering some episodes where I share my own practical insights, behind-the-scenes peeks into my process, and tools I use on my own journey. There will not be much we shy away from here because at this table, everything belongs. Therefore, you can expect me to ask the uncomfortable, juicy questions. You can expect that you'll hear people you disagree with on the podcast and maybe even ideas you've never previously considered. I trust you with your own discernment as we take this deep dive. You can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and be challenged by the guests as they share their diverse experiences and views of the world. It's my hope through learning to see that all of it belongs that you will develop a more sovereign way of holding yourself so you can playfully go after the life, relationships, and career you are made for, to let all parts of yourself have a seat at the table, to lead and create from your deepest truth, and become your own source of validation, all because you finally know you're worthy of it. All that's required to get started, that you show up curious and willing. Let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody. This is Everything Belongs, and we are doing a two-part episode. It's just all of your questions about my life, business, spirituality, and more. And today's episode specifically is all about business. I answered all of the personal questions, questions about my divorce, coming out, my faith journey, and where I'm at spiritually in the last episode, episode 100. Today, we're going to be diving into all things business and coaching. And before I even dive in, I want you to know that my 90-day creative business immersive is calling in the final three seats at the time of my recording this, that is. So if you are curious about working with me in the capacity of being your business coach and consultant, please go to madisonmorgan.com backslash serve it up. I would love to have you in this 90 day group immersive. We are going to start on September 28th, meeting almost every week until the new year. So it's 10 total calls with me where I'm teaching, offering live consulting and coaching, plus so much more. I'll tell you about it here in a minute. But if you're curious now and want to secure a call with me, I do 20 minute clarity calls just to make sure that this is a really good fit. Go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash serve it up right now and get, go ahead and just secure yourself a call with me that we can talk about if this is right for your stage in business. If you're a new business owner or just starting a business, how this can support you to build the foundations, but also those folks who've been in business for a couple years and are kind of reaching a pivot point. Um, it could be a really good fit for you as well. I've worked with people along both ends of that spectrum, people who are already making six figures, multiple six figures in their business and people who haven't even made their first 10 grand since opening the doors to their business. So I would love to talk to you about this. If you are curious about building a really integrity filled business that honors your needs, your way of moving in the world, but offers front facing a very clear message that allows your ideal clients to find you. And then behind the scenes, having those systems and scalable offerings that allow you to really live your life, which is ultimately what having a business is about. It's about being of service and living your fucking life. 
the truth of it is like, I was trying to create a normal business. Like really, I was trying to, when in the beginning of my work, I was trying to create a normal business. I was trying to be a normal coach. I was trying to care about all the normal things that coaches help people with. And the truth is that I'm just not very normal. I don't have a normal business. I don't have a normal life. I don't want normal things for my clients, nor do normal things happen whenever I work with people. I'm not normal. And in fact, if you've worked with me in the past, um, this past year, you'll know that I have been failing miserably at normal, <laughs> like so miserably. I am, yes, great as like cosplaying as a business coach, your average business coach, but I'm just not about selling people through talking about how much is in my bank account or something like that. I know deeply how to help someone tweak the back end of their business for scaling and whip up their marketing for sales and make it sound really clear and juicy and good. And that's that's easy for me. Like that is so easy and to the point where it's almost boring. Because if I was honest and if my clients were honest, especially those in Serve It Up, we know whenever we get in there and start doing this juicy work inside your business that yes, systems get created and marketing strategies get created in a way that feels really good for you. They get tweaked, strategies become implemented, messages are clarified, and all of that is wonderful. Like I really want people to get that out of Serve It Up because we need those structures in place to allow for abundance to flow into to our business and creativity to flow out. So I'm all about those structures and those foundations that allow abundance to flow in and creativity to flow out. But there's kind of this secret sauce that I've been keeping and kind of, it's been grating on me a little bit, not really sharing about this element of serve it up. It's that I don't care about all of that shit nearly as much as I care about the soul of your work and the gorgeous life you get to create as a result of it. Because I think business is fun. Like business can be so fun. And I think bringing in abundance and impacting people. I mean, I, I love that. I love having the money to live the life I want and resources to give back how I want. I love hearing how my work has impacted people. And all of that is possible, you know, through that deep work of what, what we'll do and serve it up, you know, curating a team handbook, outlining all of your standard operating procedures, creating a breadcrumb trail, which is your strategic sales process and your soul aligned marketing that really has what you do best at the very center. We'll have a really good time with it, but also it's not the work I love the most about serve it up, like not even close. The work I love the most about serve it up it's the most potent version of you that gets to rise and meet this vision that you're channeling. It's the layers of cultural programming that strip away in the process of seeing you rise as a leader that you are. And it's that magical alchemical process of who you thought you had to be, like who you thought you had to be to be successful versus the way you actually want it to be the true you, how you really want it to be with capacity to meet all that's coming for you. So ultimately fuck normal, <laughs> like fuck normal. I want magical. I want alchemical. I want full of integrity. I want playful. And I want people to say, how the fuck did you create that? Whenever they look at your work and you look at your business, I want you to know the rules and I want you to break them. And ultimately that's what we're going to be doing inside of serve it up. So we do have 10 total calls, which 
Each of them outline the 10 core pillars of Serve It Up. So we'll develop your business ecosystem. We'll do consensual marketing, social media strategy, how to lead and hire your team, how to have ease filled and strategic launches, and so much more. But ultimately, over this 90 days, we're going to meet for 20 total hours streamlining, clarifying things inside of your work. You'll have time with me one-on-one in our office hours to message me and get personal feedback. It's going to be so much fun. So again, if you're curious about doing a kind of business coaching that isn't, as some might say, normal, maybe this is for you. You can go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash serve it up if you're someone who knows that business is a spiritual practice and that you can become your greatest leader, not just of your own life, but of your work and your vision and that your work can be a true spiritual practice for you for self-realization and self-actualization. Because ultimately I think whenever I bring people through serve it up, not only are they getting all of those business things, but a lot of people say they've had a personal transformation and feel more themselves on the other side. And to me, that's the greatest compliment that someone can get in a 90 day business program is leaders, teachers, healers, folks who are really giving of themselves, feeling more themselves with more capacity to be themselves in their work at the end of it. Please, if you're curious, I want to have you in this. It's madisonmorrigan.com backslash serve it up. Okay. So let's dive into some of your questions about business and my business specifically, some advice around business. The first question that was sent in is, should I coach for free to build my business? I actually think yes. I think yes. And not everyone's going to love that answer because people are really about charging what you're worth as if you are worth a certain amount of money. But I think what's really interesting about the coaching industry is because it is an unregulated industry, unlike therapy, for example, where there are a lot of rules and regulations as to when you're allowed to even start practicing, coaching doesn't have that. And there are a lot of benefits to this. And then there are some downsides. And one of the downsides is that people don't develop their skill of coaching before they start charging a lot and then they feel like a fraud and then they feel not good about the results their clients are getting. There's no apprenticeship phase in the coaching industry unless you choose to do so. Something that I did and was encouraged to do by Julie Parker from Beautiful You Coaching Academy where I was trained to be a coach specifically, you know, I, I could have just been a coach because of my undergraduate degree. And I had enough qualifications and skill to just start coaching, but it felt important for me to get a coaching certificate and less for the certificate, but more for the education. I wanted to feel very confident in my skills. So I went through a nine month coaching training. And part of that was coaching pro bono clients and kind of getting mentorship under another coach. So that was incredibly helpful. So I would encourage you if you are someone who wants to be building your work as a coach, you're, you're either just got qualified or you're just about to start your coach training. I would encourage you to start coaching for very, very minimal and find someone, maybe a coach who's further along than you to mentor you around, around what's coming up for you with your clients and struggle, like struggle points. I know Thais Sky is someone who offers, uh, I believe just supervision for coaches, which is something that's very common for therapists to do. Therapists have to do supervision, but isn't common in the coaching industry, but you can find great coaching mentors, great coaching certifications that are of deep integrity and allow you to expand your work. 
and to expand your skills as a coach. For me personally, I did so much for free to build my skill and capacity as a coach. And a lot of it was, you know, unpaid work or underpaid work. I'm actually fine with the fact that I did that. I worked a number of jobs while I was building my coaching business because it felt important to charge appropriately for the level of skill that I had. And so in the beginning, I coached a lot of people for free. I did giveaways on the internet, coached people, coached like people in my network. So not necessarily friends, but acquaintances to get get comfortable with my own way of coaching that wasn't as formulaic as right a coaching program teaches you to be. Because in whenever you're being trained to be a coach, there's kind of a formula that you'll learn about how to do it. And finding your own rhythm in that takes time. I felt personally like finding my own rhythm was important to do with clients who weren't paying for high level expertise because I didn't have it yet. So while I was building my skill and building my business, I was not charging very much and working other jobs. And I really encourage people who are building their business to not see any shame in doing so while you're building your business, like not just your business, but also your skill, because you will be that much more of an unstoppable force in your work whenever you can trust your skill level. To in, I think this is a really big piece that comes up for people around their pricing. They feel guilty around charging a certain amount. They feel like they're not serving people enough, so they overgive. And a lot of that is because they don't trust their skill as a coach. So if you can really lay that foundation with a slow and steady start, you will have a much more sustainable business. Your skills will be that much more robust. Then as your skills become more robust, you can stop with free work and raise your prices to be appropriate for your skill level. This is a really big piece I teach in Serve It Up is to charge according to skill level, not just according to what everyone else in your industry is charging. That can set a tone and a baseline. But if you have a lot of skill, if you've had multiple certifications, you have college degrees, or you have been mentored by some of the greatest mentors in your field, then it's appropriate to charge more because you've invested more in your skill level and probably can get people a faster result and a more, uh, profound result. So if you're in that stage, like if you're in that stage and you're like, shit, I don't want to have to do this work for free. I totally honor that. The thing is, is that you have to play the long game here. If you want to be doing this work and mentoring people and coaching people, you're dealing with people's innermost world and their lives. And that is sacred work. And for just about all of time, People who've been doing sacred work are apprenticing under people who've been doing that sacred work for so much longer. So there's actually no shame in getting the apprenticeship you need and getting coached by someone who can really support you to expand your skills and doing trainings and in offering pricing that's a little bit more on the low end while you're skill building. And then this is what people do with beta programs, right? I have a beta program that I'm going to launch here in a couple months, and it's going to be cheaper than the full program because the beta program, you're getting feedback. You're getting, you're kind of collecting data. And so it's a little bit more affordable than the one that you'll put out whenever you've gathered all the data. So think of it like a beta offering. I tell people when they're starting their business, you don't want to be doing this forever. You don't want to be discounting forever. So you want to 
basically tell people that are receiving this, that it is on a discount because you are skill building and, or it isn't a discount because you're collecting data and you want a testimonial in exchange for the work. So you can let people know that your prices will be raising at a certain point. And then you can, you know, build step, like, I guess, step stair, stair step, there it is, stair step your way up to the pricing that feels really good for you. And then you'll have testimonials and a reputation that precedes you which is not just what I did, but it's what I encourage new coaches to do. And then to really learn, the key is to learn when you're starting to overgive and do this from people pleasing and when it's self-extractive and you'll start to feel that because it will feel less like you're learning and more like draining and exhausting. And that's a really good indication that it's time to pump up your prices a little bit and get more boundaried. Okay. So the next question says this person just asks, how do you stay consistent, organized, and disciplined to post, write, create, etc." So if you've been following my work, I have been posting online consistently for eight years. <laughs> In the beginning of my business, I posted every single day on the internet for, I believe, two years. I emailed every single week. I've emailed almost every single week of my business for eight years. So much content but I don't necessarily consider myself disciplined. I feel much more devotional. This work is a passion of mine. It is really important to me. And so treating it as such has been really important to me. I have a devotional relationship to the the work and to the writing. I also love to write. So that really helps. I have found a format that really works for me, writing emails and posting videos on social media. And I trust my body's flow. I have forced, but I find when I'm forcing myself, I do not feel good. And so I have to really listen to not forcing it. So if you're struggling with that, try not to force it. I also delegate. I don't do almost anything that I'm not good at. (laughs) Like I do what I do best. I write content. I write emails. I write podcasts and I coach people so well. I create really amazing programs, everything else I'm not as good at. And so I outsource that. Um, and I didn't have access to a team at the start right? It took me a couple years to be able to afford to hire people. But now that I can hire people, I outsource everything I can. I also use the 80-20 rule. I teach that and serve it up. It is a really good indicator of how to spend your energy. You're going to want to spend your energy on the 20% of things that are, I guess, creating, there's the word, creating the greatest amount of profitability, amount of abundance, generativity. So focus 20 or 80% of all your energy on the 20% of things that are giving you the biggest return work. That's the most fun, the most profitable, the most generative and the most easy for me. So that's how also I delegate. I focus on that 20% and I delegate the rest. I, again, I also love to write. So whenever I am like really listening to my body and letting myself rest, Content will come to me. I say content, but just like writing and words will come to me quite easily. So I give myself time and space. I feed myself inspiration, lots of books and art and time living. I find just like living my life. I find inspiration doing my own healing work has been a huge source of the inspiration behind my writing because I always have content whenever I look at my own life and what's going on for me. So I use my own life as a source of a lot of my writing. I also have really amazing business systems. I geek out on efficiency systems and not wasting energy. 
I do have a a neurodivergent brain. So a lot of this honestly is the way that I've adapted given my neurodivergence. So I have really amazing business systems, keeping things simple, keeping things easy because my brain overthinks. My brain is so busy. I see so many little details and having really clean systems in my business allows me (laughs) to have that really wild mind and then channel it into something productive. So I also don't spend much time in my email inbox. If you email me, you know, there's an autoresponder. If you're a client, you know, I have devoted times where I message you again, that helps my neurodivergent brain because those notifications, I struggle filtering out notifications based on which ones are more or less important. So if you are a stranger in my inbox or you're my most beloved client, my brain registers those as equally important. And so having my notifications off, having clear times when I respond to people on my calendar really helps me stay disciplined because my brain does not want to be. So again, it's devotion to my values really that keeps me organized. And mostly in my business, I've built my, I've built everything around really simple systems that give me space and energy to create, to coach and focus on my relationships because that's what I value the most. So this next person asks, how did you make connections with so many people network wise? So I am assuming this person is just witnessing my connections via social media is what I'm I'm guessing Uh, because I live in the Midwest in Springfield, Missouri, and there actually aren't that many connections I have through like for work in my everyday life. I have a lot of my dearest friends are, they're not in the coaching industry or online business. And I love that about my everyday in-person relationships, but networking and people kind of comes easy to me. I am in the business of people. I love people and I'm genuinely curious about people. I of course have the podcast, which has given me a really cool opportunity to connect with people that I just find inspiring. And I can be pretty bold about reaching out to people I find inspiring. I'm also a four one in human design, which the four means I'm a natural networker and that my opportunities are going to come through my relationships. So it's really not something I have to try at. I also have, if you're into astrology, I have Libra rising, which loves people. And I have a a Leo stellium, which is, you know, four planets in the house of Aquarius, which is all about community. So I don't know if it's just written in the stars, but these things come quite easy to me. I also just love people and I try to be genuine and of service to the people in my life. So a lot of my colleagues will know I'm I'm really apt to share their work and to support them and to promote them and to offer any insights I have. It's one of the reasons I created Serve It Up because so many people were asking me about business and I really want to share what I know. So I think generosity goes a long way. Here are some things that I would recommend if these things don't come super easy to you. The first is put yourself where people who share the same interest as you are. So go to yoga classes, go to retreats, go to the same places continually, continually. You're not going to find your best friend the first time, you know, you meet them at an event. You're going to want to go over and over again and show yourself consistent, whether that's online or in person. So show up to people's social media events, show up on their Instagram accounts, like their stuff, share their stuff. And that's how people just notice that you exist is that you're actually engaged. So you have to show up 
The second is ask people genuine questions that aim to get to know them. People love talking about themselves. So just ask people questions and it gets them talking. It shows that you care. People can feel if we only want to get something from the interaction. So if you show up sincere and curious and open, people will feel that. And I personally think being deliberate with colleagues is everything. I, I don't really feel heaps of competition from my colleagues. I feel, and I try to cultivate relationships that feel really equal. So I share their work. I share their work abundantly and I hope to be a person and a peer that people can trust. And so it's a good reminder to check your own ego and envy because those are things that get in the way from really potent peer relationships. When you're seeing someone as your competition or you're jealous or you, yeah, you just have those like strange, uh, sometimes colleague relationships can have that, but that really hinders true connection and people can feel that shit. And so then give it time. Relationships, especially nowadays, are built over time because everyone is quite busy and everyone's got a lot going on. So just trust the time it takes to build deep relationships. The next question sent in is what has been the biggest key takeaways to business success for you? So goodness, I've written out four different things and it's all going to sound kind of familiar perhaps. And the first is consistency over time. It takes time, sustainability, especially if you want to be skilled at your craft, right? So I see a lot of people online at the moment, like booming with what seems to be overnight success. And I just want to remind everyone who, you know, observe these people just suddenly they just blow up that there will be a new shining star in every industry every few years. And it will feel like this person got there out of nowhere. Like, where did this person come from? They must have a secret. And it is true that sometimes people just blow up, but the truth I believe is that nearly everyone who has success in business has been trying and failing and posting when no one liked their post and doing events for free and undercharging and working hard long before you've ever heard of them. So consistency doesn't mean constancy. This is another thing we say in serve it up. You want to be consistent because that builds trust. You want to be consistent, whether that's once a week Well, that's once a month, you want to be consistent, but it doesn't mean constant. You don't have to be showing up on the internet constantly or in your work constantly, but consistency means over time, people showed up again and again and again. So if you want business success, you're going to want to show up again and again and again. The second piece is inner work. And I guess there are people who don't need to do heaps of self-reflection to be successful, but I am not one of those people. (laughs) Kudos to the people who, you know, didn't have limiting beliefs holding them back, who didn't have self-worth stuff holding them back or shame to heal before they could show up boldly. I did. I had a lot of shit going on and I needed to heal. And so for me, the willingness to heal has been pivotal in my ability to lead And as a coach and a healer myself, I think if we are healers and you do work in the world that supports people in remembering who they are, if you're not doing that work, it is really important that you do. It does not mean you must be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to support other people to heal. We're all imperfect people helping each other see ourselves and find our way home. But if you're not willing to do that work, it can become dangerous, especially if you are, again, a healer, a facilitator, a leader in some way, because what's really important about I think the work of coaching or therapeutic work or healing work is that we want to be clear mirrors for people. 
And we can't be clear mirrors if we are full of our own projections and unhealed stuff that we're projecting onto other people. So doing inner work helps us serve people better. And also if you're in a different industry, which isn't about mirroring to people their goodness, then I think just doing our own inner healing helps Again, clearing projections means we have a stronger mental resiliency, and it means we have a greater capacity in our nervous system for success, for challenge, which just come with business. So I think all around willingness to do inner work is important. I think that a lot of success without it can be dangerous, but uh, some people don't seem to need it in the way that I have. So again, kudos to those people. Maybe they can share their their, uh, success strategies with the rest of us. The third piece I think that has been really key for business success for me is integrity in my strategy and then market adaptability. And what I mean by that is, can you adapt to change while staying true to yourself? In the eight years that I've been doing this work, there have been so many changes in the way people generate clients and share their work on the internet. And it keeps changing and it's going to keep changing because change is certain and the internet and technology is moving faster and faster and faster. So being able to remain true to yourself and your strategy and to the soul of your work while also using these tools by being adaptable to the market. An example would be, I was really resisting reels, right? I I like TikTok. I think it's fun, but I was really sad that the writing portion of my work wasn't really going to be seen on Instagram in the same way anymore. But whenever I realized I could become adaptable and I can start posting more reels of myself speaking to the camera, which get, you know, so many more views than anything else for me personally right now. Also speaking to the camera is easy for me. I can channel my writing somewhere else and have that be uh, on my email list or use it for podcasts and then do the thing that's connecting with people on, on reels. And some people feel like that's a huge issue for them, but I've really realized that being adaptable and using the tools that are available in a way that works for me actually helps my business. So if it doesn't take from me, which it's not, then I think it's a win. And I also just want to remind you that word of mouth is still, you know, the most potent marketing strategy. So doing a really great job and having integrity behind the curtain of your business is really important because that will, I guess, cascade out and people will feel that and people will talk about your work and refer you. And I think if you can remain adaptable amongst all these changes while remaining true to who you are, that's how you create a sustainable business. So the fourth piece is relationships. And I already spoke to relationships, but I just feel that my peer relationships have been so, so, so helpful for me in my work, like one of the most important pillars. So having masterminds has actually been a way that I've felt that my business has grown from peers because if you work from home already, or you're about to, uh, or maybe you did during the pandemic, you know how isolating working alone can be. Even if you have a small team, right? It's just you and your mind and your clients. And I remember whenever I went full-time in my work, I really feel like I fell into a depression. I felt really isolated. It was really challenging for me to work alone and not have anyone else creating structure for me. It all felt like it was relying on me. 
So what I did during that season was I joined a mastermind and it was a paid mastermind and it helped me to show up consistently for myself, but also be stretched. And after that experience, I started a couple different along, you know, along the eight years, a couple different peer led masterminds as well. And those have been incredibly helpful. So I've paid to be in masterminds and I've created masterminds with peers. And I just want to outline some of the positives of each for you because they have, for me, they were very different experiences. So the positives to the masterminds you can create yourself are that they cost nothing. <laughs> like, right, you, they don't cost anything but time and you can choose the people to be in them. And I think the, the biggest things that have come out of those experiences for me was feeling that I got deep relationships and that I didn't feel alone. It helped me feel like there were other people going through what I was going through in business. But the negatives of having peer-led masterminds is that there's no facilitator. So what that usually ends up meaning is that it will fizzle out, they're less driven, they're less consistent, and there's no one really like holding you to your goals. And although peers can do that, I've just found they don't do it like someone you pay to do it does. So whenever I have paid to be in masterminds, which I've done three times in my business, I have just gotten such a huge transformation personally from the experience. Like on the other side, I felt like I had really not just achieved goals, but become more of who I wanted to be as a result of someone holding the container securely. They've produced more income-driven changes along with a greater sense of cohesiveness and drive. So I've developed really great personal relationships from those as well, but they were a lot less relational and a lot more about me doing what I really said I would do because the coach or the facilitator held me to that. So relationships have been a huge piece. I have, again, developed those relationships through intentionality and cultivating peer-led masterminds or just reaching out for Zoom calls and then also paying to be in masterminds that are centered around one specific goal. So this next question is more of a personal business question and it reads, do you ever share what's really going on in your life? Seems like puff with lava underneath. This is such an interesting question and I can't help but feel like maybe it comes with some judgment that could be my assumption on this end, you know, not hearing the context or the tonality in which it was asked, not being able to ask any questions back. So I'm going to answer this from two different lenses, one personal and then the second business. So personally, gosh, what a bummer that you've experienced what I share and choose to share in your words as puff with lava underneath. Uh, Again, without being able to dialogue with you about this, I I guess I have choices in how I relate to this assumption. And simply, I want to answer by saying, yes, I do share what's really going on in my life. And no, I don't share what's always going on in my life. And that's not to say that I fabricate anything I'm sharing. Like everything I'm sharing and choosing to share is true. It's honest. It's authentic. My joy, my lifestyle, my well being, all of those things are shared sincerely. And I actually personally, whenever I'm not doing as well, I actually take a break from creating because whenever I'm well is whenever I create most efficiently and mostly it just flows out of me. But whenever I'm not inspired to create, whenever I'm in grief or digesting a big life change. And so usually I take some time away from creating and sharing to process what's going on in my life before I come back and will often actually share what I was going through from a processed place. And I actually think that that's incredibly wise, although maybe not the most popular in a time where people are like posting things as they're going through them. That doesn't feel good for me. 
I used to do a lot more of that, but it doesn't feel good for me anymore. You know, I've built my entire business over the last eight years from oversharing on the internet. Um, I really used to overshare. And often my emails, my podcasts, and my posts are a direct reflection of what I've gone through or recently have gone through. I've been extremely open about my mistakes, my divorce, coming out, my own codependency, recovery, healing. I've talked about no contact with family, abusive relationships, like, oh my gosh, I've talked about so many things that are deeply personal on the internet. But in recent years, I've learned that I was using in the past a lot of my stories. It felt like I was taking something that was sacred and extracting it for marketing. And that wasn't on purpose, but it just was happening, right? People were connecting with it, so I would share more. And I started to realize that it had a lot to do, the reason I was doing this had a lot to do with my lack of privacy in my childhood and some enmeshment patterns I was in. So over the years, as I've healed, I've gotten a lot more discerning about what I choose to share on the internet. There are things that I will never share on the internet because I respect not just the privacy of my own life, but the privacy of those I care about. There are people in my life who don't want to be posted about on the internet. (laughs) So yeah, I very much share what's going on, but I also reserve the right to a private life and a private love and a private spirituality and a private home. And the emotional exhaustion of sharing personal things and then having people and strangers on the internet respond to them has at times been bad for my mental health. And I mean, I have gotten projections and assumptions that have been very hurtful and I'm a very sensitive person. So I've shared that a couple episodes ago, you know, whenever I was collecting questions for these podcasts, I received some really unkind questions or I guess just statements because they were anonymous. And thankfully my social media manager filtered most of them out. It is sucks to know that people will do that. You know, whenever you put yourself out there on the internet and in the world in general, or, but when you put your work out, especially what, what matters to you and you put yourself forward, it is scary because we are going to be facing people's projections and assumptions, judgments, unkind words. I think the older and wiser I've gotten and the more uh, healing I've done, I'm more cautious about what I share because I know people will have opinions and judgments and through the internet, people are not shy about sharing them. So the things that are the most sacred and close to my heart, I don't let strangers on the internet make comment on it. So Yeah, that is my perspective from a personal place, but from a business and social perspective, I have, I have other opinions. So I'm not an influencer. I'm a coach and a consultant. So I actually don't make money from sharing the ins and outs of my days or what I eat or what I do. I make money because of my skill. And I find it's very rare clients I work with feel this way about my work. It's usually people who don't actually know me who feel this way. So given my line of work, that it's actually about helping specific people to find what they want in their life and to help them achieve their goals and to heal in their lives, sharing about myself isn't actually that important. I mean, of course it's important in the way of like building trust and sharing who I am. And I, I do all of that, but sharing my opinion on every single thing and sharing the ins and outs of my days all the time, isn't like, I'm not an influencer. I don't want to be an influencer. I don't want to be doing that work. So I understand that that often leads people on the internet wanting more from me than I'm able to give or making assumptions about what I'm able to give. But Part of me is like, yeah, well, I don't fucking care because 
what I want to, what I want to share on the internet is to be of service and not just to other people, but to my life and to my work and to what I know that I'm here to share. Although the Madison show could be really fun, ultimately, like that's not why I want to do this work. So I also want to name that like if you're a business owner who also has a public platform in some way, you might relate to this. People are wanting more from you or making assumptions about you that are incorrect and it hurts. Like I know that it hurts because I experience it. And I want to name like the deeper danger here because I do think that there is danger in parasocial relationships. I actually was, I was on TikTok and there was a creator. I don't know her name. I wish I could remember in this moment. She's a really sweet redhead creator and she was doing her makeup and she looked so sad in the video and the comment was like, I've been gone for a month because I've been extremely unwell. And the comment section was just like, you're a queen, like go off queen. Like you're so gorgeous. Oh my God. I wish I looked like you. And how could you be so sad looking like that? And it was just like, to me, it was so deranged and so detached that this person's sharing these like tiny bits. And then we get these like sound bites from all these strangers. And I understand like whenever you're a creator and you're putting your work out into the world, that this just happens, but we stop relating to people like people sometimes. And so that's the danger in parasocial relationships that I saw in that woman's post is like, she was doing the thing she always does, which is putting on her makeup on the internet. Cause she, that's what she does on TikTok, and was trying to share something about her humanity. And it was like either missed or, you know, made light of given her beauty. It was such a bizarre experience, but I think a lot of people who put their work out on the internet and to be seen and marketed in that way often encounter people who treat them like a two-dimensional product. So imagine wanting to know more from your dentist or your therapist or your barista uh, at your local place than they want to share. Imagine asking them why they're not telling you more about their life when you check out at the cash register. Or imagine telling your dentist you don't trust them because they're not sharing more about their kids and you haven't seen pictures of their kids. That'd be so weird, right? But with online businesses, people become two-dimensional to us and we can mistake a whole person for the skill or product that they offer, which I think is damaging on both ends because we can pedestalize someone and then demonize them later or pedestalize someone and demonize ourselves, And it's extremely dangerous and it leads room for all kinds of projections to blur reality. So when in parasocial relationships, I think it's truly our responsibility, our personal responsibility to engage with content in a way that's good for our mental health. So if my work or anyone's content makes you feel bad about yourself or you find yourself judging them and projecting onto them, it might be a good sign that fought like unfollowing or muting or talking about it with a coach or a therapist will really serve you. Because if that is going on, there's something there for you. And it could just be take a break, but it could be something, you know, to look at. And if you are a business owner who experiences projection, judgments, or you're just a woman like me who's a bit too much for a lot of people, I want you to know this, that you don't owe people more time and attention than you you have. If you don't have it, you definitely don't owe it to anyone. You don't owe people an explanation for your lifestyle, your choices, or your well-being. You don't owe people a deep dive into your trauma. What you owe is your integrity. Are you sharing because you want to? Are you sharing what you want to? Are you sharing what you fully digested so that when you do share and when you do get projected onto, that you'll be stable and clear, able to discern what's true for you and what you can weed out? 
Are you showing up for clients and customers in a way that honors your commitments? And are you sharing content that is consistently aligned to your values? Are you living a healthy work-life balance? Those are the things that are the most important to me about sharing our work with the world. It's so much less, like whenever we say, am I being authentic on the internet? I think we've really mistaken authenticity as vulnerability porn. And I think a lot of people kind of can demand vulnerability porn from content creators, but I'm not here to be an influencer. I don't want to be an influencer. I'm an extremely skilled coach who supports people to navigate these really profound changes and transformations in their life, be it business or personal and help people unmask and let their true self be seen. And I can show up in the, in a way that honors my integrity, my authenticity and my skill without offering vulnerability porn or oversharing to people on the internet. It doesn't feel good to me to do that anymore. And to me, honoring that is integrity. Honoring that is authenticity. So I don't know what this person meant when they asked the question about lava boiling underneath in my life or however it was worded. And maybe it was meant in a a sweeter, kinder way than I originally took it. But I do think it's a really important conversation and one that I've been navigating the last year and a half or so about what do we give people on the internet versus what do we own in our skill and in our craft whenever we have a business. And for me, being known for my skill and craft and letting my essence just ring through what I share, that's what's really important to me. So if you're a creator or you have a business that uses social media as a means of connecting to your clients, please jot down those questions I just shared and let yourself ponder them when you get entangled in what people want from you versus what you really want to be sharing. Because you do have a right to a private life and you also have a right to fully and freely share and create boundaries around your online work. These next two questions are kind of on the back of that last answer. And they are, how do you see the personal balance of sharing personal life for the sake of marketing versus keeping that? And does self-extracting feel like a trauma response after sharing or how to spot if we're self-extracting? So I love, I love sharing on the internet. Like as much as my last share doesn't make it sound like maybe I love it. I really do love sharing on the internet and I actually my tendency is to overshare. So for me, it's been learning to share less and that has happened naturally as I've done some work around my history with self-exploitation in trauma therapy. So doing that trauma work has helped me to know where it's coming from and what it feels like. I also want to just name that under toxic capitalism, we can learn to take what's sacred and exploit it for profit. And we do that because we are often in scarcity. So it's kind of, it's the shadow of the prostitute archetype. And that's not a commentary on sex work, but rather the archetypal energy of, I ha- if I have to give part of myself away in order to be safe and get something that will keep me safe. Whereas like the light side of that is I choose, right? The light side of that archetype would be sovereign choice. The, the side of it that's in the shadows is I have to, I don't have a choice, I must. And when we're feeling like we have to take something that's sacred to us and strip it away and give it away to be safe out of scarcity and fear, that's how we know that we're in a trauma template and that we're perhaps in self-extraction. So we can reorient to that blueprint of health around sharing and authenticity and joy. And I think that's what I really was trying to drive home in the last point of what I was saying is I really feel like I'm actually sharing from my template of health because I've healed a lot of my self-exploitation. 
the balance of sharing my personal life versus keeping it sacred isn't something I have to think about anymore. I just do what feels good. And so I'm not, I'm not thinking, do I share about this relationship or do I share this gathering or do I post this or not? Because I, I know it by how it feels. I know when it feels like I have to share something or I'm doing it habitually from that place versus where I'm like, oh, I really want to talk about this and I want to create this and it feels expansive and fun and like freedom. So you might just notice really simply, does it feel like constriction or like urgency or like you don't have a choice? And that's going to be those trauma templates running. Or do you feel expansive and excited and joyful and free in your shares? And that's going to be probably more aligned with a blueprint of health. So this next person asks, have you ever been canceled? And are you afraid to speak your truth on social media and online? Or how am I not afraid to speak my truth on social media and online? So I've never been fully canceled, although I was in 2020, a part of someone was trying to harass me in order to cancel someone else and was basically on without saying it, like letting me know that they thought I was deserving of being canceled if I didn't cancel this other person. And it was very stressful. And I was getting a lot of messages from really large accounts. And then a bunch of like bot accounts, like fake accounts that were made to harass people in my direct messages. And it really impacted me to the point of not sleeping through the night that entire month that that was happening. And it triggered some PTSD for me around surveillance. I really had some surveillance programming and punishment programming from whenever I was a child and in the church. And this triggered that so deeply. And so I had to do some deep work. I was actually working with a coach at the time and I did some really powerful work around reprogramming my brain and my nervous system to not perceive those threats in the same way and to be able to orient to my safety, to feel safe in my body and safe in my life. Because when I looked around in my everyday life, there wasn't a threat. The people that were threatening me didn't even know me and my clients, you know, weren't being swayed by these threats. Although online cancellation can really impact someone's income and their livelihood, tearing down someone's reputation completely on the internet. I mean, especially if their business is on the internet that directly impacts their livelihood. That isn't to say I don't believe in accountability or that we should, you know, tell people when they've caused harm to us or to other people. I do believe in that, but I'm not someone who supports online harassment campaigns and never was, never will be. Do not participate. I don't anymore feel afraid to speak my truth online. Although I'm not consistently talking about it or in spaces where the things I talk about are controversial. Um, I used to be in a lot more spaces. You know, I was really conservative at one point being Uh, I wouldn't say I was personally conservative, but I was in conservative spaces and didn't really speak my truth. And when I started to speak my truth in those conservative spaces, I was exiled. And I like, I guess I was canceled from those spaces, but I wanted to be because <laughs> I didn't really care what really conservative far right folks thought about my belief that queer people deserve rights. <laughs> That's so silly to me. I guess I was canceled from that space. And I've been afraid more so to speak my truth because I have felt like I can see things from so many different perspectives and I see truth in a lot of different in a lot of different things. I think a lot of the things people were arguing about regarding like vaccines for example. I see people's hesitancy around vaccines. I understand why a lot of people were hesitant. Uh, I don't like I chose to get vaccinated, right? This was a huge it seems silly now, but it was a huge topic that people were getting canceled about. I just didn't feel like 
shouting my voice into that was the most important use of my energy, even though I had opinions and, you know, if someone asked was willing to talk about them, but there are some issues that I am like, I feel like I must speak about like trans rights and black lives matter. Like these are things that to me are like non-negotiable truths that I don't understand why I would get canceled for them. The things that I have been afraid about, about causing harm. I've been really open behind the scenes in my life to feedback from people and have done anti-racism courses and continue my education so that I am, I know whenever someone comes to me where I've caused them harm, that I can process that shame. So if you're someone who worries about getting canceled or speaking your truth on the internet, uh, I would say, what are you willing to stick your neck out on the limb for? Like what is important to you in your work to be seen given your privileges, what it's important for you to be seen standing up for in your work. And then what are the things that you feel edgy around? And I would really get curious around how shame is operating there and what your skill level is being with shame and moving shame through. Because I usually, the things that usually come up around cancellation for people are deep shame and uh, fear, like scarcity and fear. So if you can be really supported to move through those things, then I think that you could probably move through your ability to speak your truth online. I also want to say that it seems, in my opinion, that a lot of the big cancellations, like people aren't doing that in the same way anymore. And so, yeah, I have a lot of conversations about this with my one-on-one clients and people in serve it up because it tends to be something that people that really holds people back from sharing and they don't realize how safe they are to be sharing and also how competent they are to receive feedback. If you can trust your competency, you will be that much more capable of sharing what you believe in the world. The next question is about my social media manager. They say, how did you choose and employ your social media manager? What was the process of this kind of business expansion? So I have had two different people manage my social media. One person was more of like a full takeover where they were like managing DMs and replying to comments for me and, and also creating, like I would write and they would create the content and post it for me. And that actually didn't, I didn't love that. I didn't like feeling so detached from it. It made me feel really disconnected from like the pulse of my work and the pulse of people. So um, now I just have someone who creates the content based on what I've written and posts it, but I manage everything else. So they'll create like the imagery, for example. And I will just name that everyone who works in my business is a consultant or a contractor. So they're not someone, excuse me, they're not a consultant. They are a contractor because I don't have any employees. So I have no full-time employees in my business. Everyone who works with me owns their own business and I'm one of their many clients. For me, hiring these people was important because I was at a certain capacity in my work. So I hired someone to create the content and graphics because I no longer had time to do so. And it wasn't my area of highest expertise. Like I teach in Serve It Up, you're going to want to like really look at what are the things that you do best and what are the first things you can outsource whenever you have the capacity to. Creating the graphics was one of those things for me. I wanted to outsource it. I can do it. I'm good at it, but it isn't what's most fun for me in my work. So it was one of the first things that I had people outsource. So you might write down on a piece of paper, I do a more extended version of this instead of serve it up. But what are the things that you love doing? The 20% of things that you want to be doing always in your business. And what's the 80% of things that you want to let go and outsource to people who do it better than you. So I have a social media manager. I have a virtual assistant. I have a podcast editor and I have an operations manager. And those people manage all the things that I do not do best. 
thankfully. So the next question reads, any certifications for coaching you truly recommend? And yes, there are two certifications that I really recommend for coaching. And then one I recommend for trauma specifically. So the first one is beautiful. You coaching Academy. I recommend it for people who want to get the foundations of not just how to be an excellent coach and get that mentorship. I mentioned at the beginning of the, the call, the podcast today, but also for laying the foundations of your business, I think beautiful you does a really beautiful job and I will name that I'm an affiliate for them. I've been an affiliate since they gave me the option, which just means that if you sign up to beautiful you coaching Academy and mention that you heard about it through me, I get a commission and then you get awaken her soul for free. So I give you Awaken Her Soul as a thank you for choosing me. And I've written about that on my blog extensively. So you can go on my website and click journal and type in coaching or beautiful you coaching into the search bar. And you're going to find all my articles about beautiful you and how supportive it's been for me. So the other certifications I would recommend are not foundational trainings, right? So Beautiful You is a really amazing foundational training for coaching because it covers the ins and outs of how to coach, how to be an excellent coach and space holder. And Alchemical Alignment is the training I would recommend specifically for trauma resolution, body-based trauma resolution. And that is not the same thing as coaching. The other recommendation I would make is Haley Carr's Neurolinguistic Programming Training. It's called Be Your Own Coach, NLP Immersive. And I love Haley. NLP is something that is a a very complicated tool, but it is an amazing addition to your coaching, I guess, repertoire. If you are someone who's looking for deeper skills like hypnosis and helping people unlock deeper layers in your coaching sessions, I have found that as a really solid tool and continually use it in my work. So I recommend Beautiful You if you are someone who is new to the coaching world and has no background in coaching. And if you're someone who's already a coach and want to deepen your work, you might look at alchemical alignment for trauma resolution or Haley Carr's NLP training for more deep understanding of how the brain works in a coaching session. So this next question asks, do you ever feel like you just can't work this hard or stretch this much or want to slow it down in a way that would equate to less income? Do you take breaks from work financially? Have you gotten through, how have you gotten through in the past? Has there been any moments of, I can't or overwhelmed since you have been doing this? So this is a loaded four part question. And yeah, there's a lot in this question. And to answer the first part about money, thinking that I can't work this hard or stretch this much. I want to slow it down. You know, th- the things that have been overwhelming in my work as of late are not, it's not about work. It's not about stretching this much because of work or working so hard. It's usually something in my personal life that is challenging, that lowers my capacity for work. I love my job. I love what I do. I love how much money I'm making. And, you know, it allowed me the freedom to buy the home I purchased and to rest as much as I've been resting and living into a more spacious lifestyle. Like the amount of money I have has allowed me to do that. I understand that whenever I was in a place where I didn't have this much income, I couldn't rest as much. And so I do think there might be a time in the future where I need to take a step back from working so much in order to tend to my needs more deeply. And that might mean I bring in less income as a result of working less. My goal is to create a business where I don't need to be on 
as much as I currently am in order to generate that income. So diversifying how I make money is a really big part of what I'm currently thinking about because right now a lot of my programs require I be there live and I love that but it does mean I can't take as much steps back I can't take you know a full season off without that impacting my income and I might want that in the future although I don't want my income to drop because I really like where I'm at financially I'm not currently trying to make heaps and heaps more money and I'm not trying to lower my income I'd like to make the same amount of income than that I'm currently making in more intelligent ways. So regarding how hard I'm working and if I'm stretching, you know, I do know that if I take an extended break that I will not generate as much income based on the current format of my work. I do have some passive income streams, but the majority of my income comes from being on live coaching calls. So creating a business where I can log off and rest if I need to is Again, one of the things I'm leaning into with my work. So I'm learning to invest money better. I'm learning to plan launches in advance. I'm going to be automating what can be automated in some of my programs. Creating extended payment plans helps for this to bring in cash flow and to understand my cash flow in the coming months so that I don't get big bursts of money coming all at once and then like that feast and famine. And then living under my means is really important for this. I I live under my means and that helps me save and not live long to launch. In business, it's not just about making a lot of money. It's also what you do with that money, how you invest that money, how you spend that money and how you work the back end of your business. Because there's a lot of folks who are launch to launch or feast and famine due to the way that their business is structured. And so although my, my business has multiple revenue streams, I like to structure my business about 50, 50, where half of my work requires me to be there on live calls. And the other half is generating income. Yes. With me still working, but not having to be such an active role. So the feeling this person describes of that, maybe you just can't work this hard or stretch this much, you know, that has been true in seasons. And like I mentioned, this is usually true whenever I have undergone a big personal life change. So this summer being diagnosed as neurodiverse has opened up a big portal of grief. You know, when I went through my divorce or a breakup, that has been really difficult But my burnout rarely comes from work and, you know, it has at some points, but it often comes from a stacked amount of things. And I am personally in a season of reevaluating my relationship to work, how I'm showing up on social media, how I'm using my time and how things can be easier. These times of grief or change or lower capacity, they're consistently innovation points. And for me, they have me ask, you know, where can you pull back? Where can you let go of what isn't working? Where can you restructure your work to work for you? And I think that can be like a slingshot, that like really tightening of the pullback before a big slingshot into another phase of expansion. They also ask, do you take breaks from work financially? And no, I don't. I mean, I think, I mean, business is about generating income. And that's, we live in capitalism and I don't have a partner or a person that I can rely on to provide for my resources. So my work is the way that I make money to pay for the things in my life. So that might in the future look like having less income because I want to take a pullback, but I don't desire to take breaks from work. I really love what I do. And I know that ebbs and flows come in business and ebbs and flows come in capacity. And that's why I like to set up my business to be a little bit smarter in terms of how 
I generate income and how it is set up for my livelihood as far as like my personal well-being. So I also really trust that I know how to live on less. So I remind myself each time I make a big change or a big investment to be more in my personal alignment that I can live on less if I need to. And living under my income really helps for this. They also asked, has there been moments of I can't or overwhelm as you've gotten here? And I think for every person in business, I'm, I'm going to speak for everyone. That's maybe a big overstatement, but I think everyone has felt overwhelmed and I think everyone has felt like they can't. And usually when I hit these walls, it's because one, I'm out of alignment with the way that I'm working two, I'm burnt out or three, I'm undergoing a major life transition. And in the case of any of these things, this is what I recommend. The first is doing less than what's comfortable to do. And so I like to think about effortless effort. What would feel effortless, but is still showing up Two, moving forward with the burst of energy I do have. So listening to my natural rhythms three, make it more simple than you think is possible Four, go to therapy or receive coaching from a skilled facilitator five. I let myself fully log off and enjoy me time. And then six nourish yourself. That's good food, clean water, nature, really nourish yourself because owning a business does bring you to the edge of your capacity. I think many times, so having healthy coping skills, not just to cope with stress, but also to expand your capacity is going to be paramount in navigating uncertainty because business is full of uncertainty and that's the creative journey. It's full of uncertainty. So it's important to be checking in with your mental health and to have trusted providers and practitioners in your corner. If you are struggling. This next person, this is the last question. (laughs) This next person asks, how do you create boundaries for yourself or feel healthy using Instagram as a creator? It seems hard. It is hard. It is hard. I'm not going to lie. It has been hard for me. And this last update with reels, like I mentioned earlier, that was a big hurdle for me to overcome because I did not want things to change. I was really happy things were working the way they were working, but change is inevitable. And boundaries are really important. So this is something I teach and serve it up as I teach my clients to plan content in advance. I like to create like a skeleton of content, which what I mean is like the bones, like kind of plan out a month in advance of what are you promoting right now, creating the bones, and then you can fill it in with your natural creative ebb and flow. So I, again, like that structure that allows for spaciousness and I'm not always the best at showing up whenever things are overly rigid or when they're overly open. I need a little bit of structure to where I meet with my social media manager. We plan all the content. I write everything. And then in the you know space between the posts that we've scheduled, I show up and post casually with just what's on my heart. I use Canva or my team uses Canva and Planoly to create content. We use Google Docs for just about everything. But the biggest thing is like, I like to know why I'm posting. So if I'm promoting a certain program or if I'm sharing my work or posting on the podcast, I like to know what's the greater purpose behind it. And that helps me know why I'm doing what I'm doing and then be more deliberate in, in posting the things I'm posting. There you have it, folks. Those are all of the business questions that were sent in, or at least most of them. A lot of them were very similar. So I hope that that has really been fun to listen to and been of service. If it has been, I would love to know. You can share this episode on social media and tag me with what was your favorite part, or you can leave a review. 
And this is the last episode before a break for a couple months. We'll be gone for about three and a half months as we're working on another project. And we'll come back in the new year with some really beautiful interviews, some really powerful micro doses, and hopefully clarified vision. That's what breaks are so good is good for is like knowing even more potently what we want to do next. So a final reminder about Serve It Up. If you are interested, please go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash serve it up. Would love to have you in this intake. Right now there are three seats left. And if you want to get on the wait list for next year, those seats are already taken by the time you get around to listening to this, go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash serve it up. There will be a wait list on there if these seats are taken by the time you get to listen. So I really look forward to meeting you. If you are someone who's going to be doing serve it up, go to that website, book a call with me. And I look forward to seeing you on social media and in email until I release the next podcast episode. So if you want to remain in contact, be sure to follow me on Instagram at Madison Morrigan, and you can get on my newsletter list at madisonmorrigan.com. All right, everyone, I hope you have an amazing rest of your year. Now that we're transitioning into fall up here in the Northern Hemisphere, my favorite season, I hope it's spacious and easy and I'll see you on the other side of the new year. Thank you for tuning in to Everything Belongs. With the number of podcasts and content online and a very full life, I know the value of your attention and I'm so grateful for every minute you spend listening to this show and having these conversations reverberate through your home, your car, and in your life. Thank you so much. If you loved this episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes or on your favorite podcast app so others might find this podcast. You can find the show notes for every episode on my website and find more out about today's guest by going to madisonmorrigan.com backslash podcast. And if you want to find a place to get started with my coaching work, the best place to do so is to download the Call Your Energy Back practice. It is a free journal guide and short hypnotic meditation to help you get into a daily routine of connecting to yourself so that you can take up all of your rightful space, embody your wholeness, and live with the power that comes when you really belong to yourself. You can go to madisonmorrigan.com backslash energy dash back to download it right now. This meditation uses binaural beats, the brilliance of your subconscious mind, and powerful coaching questions to release the energy and emotions of other people, to generate a field of protection all around you, and will leave you feeling full of your true self, powerful, worthy, and whole. Now, if you're not already, please come and hang with me over on Instagram, DM me, and let me know your favorite part of this episode. And until next time, remember that curiosity can be a portal to a life where everything belongs.